we turn back to uh, Mark chapter 14 and page 1021, and I'll just read a couple of verses again from that chapter. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I think the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most sacred and intense scenes in the whole of the Bible. Um, The experience of Jesus was so intense that uh, Luke, uh, the followers of Jesus, who was also a doctor, wrote these words in his Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. He writes, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The experience of Jesus was so bad that we know that uh, an angel had to, to come to him and minister to him and strengthen him after that uh, occasion. And I believe it is, uh, was John Duncan who said, uh, known as uh, Rabbi Duncan, who said that uh, after he had seen Christ, uh, he would like to, to see and speak with this angel who ministered to Christ because what depths of suffering did this angel witness in the Garden of Gethsemane? And in some ways, I feel a little reluctant to preach on this passage of Scripture because I'm entering into an experience I know nothing of. We're entering into the experience of one who is pure righteousness, one who is the love of God the Father, one who is going to become the sin-bearer, one who is going to to face the, the eternal anger of God millions of times over for the sake of everyone who will be saved. But we must enter into it, because going into it there is great blessing. There's great teaching, there's great feeding, there's great uh, help by going into this this passage. Uh, And I want to go uh, into this passage beginning with the the heading, uh, The Anguish of Jesus. The Anguish of Jesus. So we begin with the anguish of Jesus. Jesus has led his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, which means oil press. And it's a, a walled orchard. On the site of, uh, on the side of Mount of Olives, and it contained an olive press, sorry, and was a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples to, to gather. And Jesus commands his disciples to sit while he goes to pray. And he takes with him, going a little bit further into this garden, he takes with him Peter, James and John, as he goes further into the garden. And we're then told that Jesus 
begins to become greatly distressed and troubled. And he shares this with his three disciples. He tells them this. Mark, uh, verse 34, uh, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Do you know, I've read this passage many times in my life. But it was only recently uh, did I realize that Jesus' anguish was so bad that it almost killed him. He said, my soul is, is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus is not exaggerating to make a point. Jesus is saying, I'm so crushed. I'm so crushed with grief that death is not far away from me. And what you're finding here is that Jesus is profoundly shaken. And we have an insight into his mental condition. He is consumed and overwhelmed with extreme anguish of soul. And the word that's translated greatly distressed here, according to one commentator, uh, is used of those whose minds are horror-struck by the sight of something great or atrocious, not only because it injects fear, but because the mind can scarcely take it in. So intense is Jesus' sorrow that had he died, he could not have suffered more. It's so, so intense. And the question then we have to ask is, what is wrong with you, Jesus? What is going on in your mind? What is going on in your heart? What is making you like this? Why do you feel like this? What's wrong, Jesus? What's the matter? And do you know what the answer is? The answer is, it is the thought of obeying the will of God. It is the thought of becoming God forsaken for our sakes. It is the thought of becoming the sin bearer for us. It is the thought of facing the, the unbridled anger of God for our sins. He's going to face it. And that's why he's filled with sorrow. That's why he's greatly distressed and troubled to the point of death because he knows he's going to face this. This is his, it's coming to him. He's going to go through it. And you know, friends, sometimes we make light of sin. If it's something, well, it's just a little thing. But Jesus... The thought of being made sin made him recoil. And you know, some people laugh at the thought of hell and ignorantly say, you know, I'd rather be in hell than playing a harp in heaven, which is a completely wrong view anyway. But Jesus sweat drops of blood over the thought of God's anger being poured on him. The thought of being God forsaken nearly killed him. These things profoundly shook the Lord Jesus 
to the very core of his humanity. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And these things shake him to the very core of his humanity. We have no real idea of what it is to face the anger of God for our sins. Jesus was greatly troubled and distressed over it. Jesus had always known this was going to happen. It's not something new to him. He always knew this was going to take place. He knew this is the reason he came into the world. But first of all, he was, when he was born into the world, it was years down the line. And then it became months down the line. Then it was weeks down the line. But now, it's the very hour for it all to happen. It's all about to kick off. It's all going to happen. The reason he came, it's all going to happen just shortly. And what you see now is the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is overcome with great anguish of soul. And he wants to be away from it all. His soul is struggling with the immense weight of it. The thought of it is crushing him. He's at breaking point. Jesus has faced many things in his life before, but nothing quite like this. And you know, friends, when you go through your darkest hour and your darkest days, there is one who knows what it feels like. That's Jesus. He says, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death of sorrow and trouble in my heart. He knows when you go through your dark days. He knows when you're at that breaking point. He knows what it's like. He's been there and he's been beyond. He knows, he understands, he cares, he can sympathize, he can empathize. He can fully enter into your fear. He can stand with you. He can help you through it because he himself has been through it on a level far beyond what you and I will ever go through. And that's why the Bible calls him a faithful high priest, able to sympathize with us, able to help us in our need, able to show us mercy and grace. We can never fully enter into what Jesus went through. And you know what? Maybe no one else can fully enter your situation. But Jesus can. Because he's been there and beyond. And he knows, he understands, and he can help you, and he can help me. But secondly, I want to look at the petition of Jesus. The petition of Jesus. Being in such agony of soul, Jesus uh, moves on further into the garden. And we read that he, he, he throws himself to the ground. But the, the tense of the verb that's used here implies that it wasn't a one-off. It happened a few times. He threw himself to the ground. He was crying out in prayer. He got up and he was praying and he crying out and he threw himself to the ground again. And these constrained emotions in Jesus burst forth on the ground 
of Gethsemane in the words of our Lord's Prayer. As he cries out, I'm going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. As a hymn writer puts it, view him prostrate on the ground. Sorry, view him prostrate in the garden. On the ground your maker lies. God is lying on the ground, crying out, the Son of God. I don't know about you, but I'm just trying to prepare this and, and try to go through these. It's such a moving and painful cry to listen to. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He's crying out in the garden. It's, it's a deep cry within his soul. And Jesus is saying, save me from this. Take this away from me. Take this cup away from me. Friends, the cup that Jesus is speaking about is the cup of God's judgment. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17, we read these words. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25 verse 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 16. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup on the Lord's right hand will come round to you. An utter shame will come upon your glory. New Testament, Revelation 16, 19. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. The cup in all of these places, the cup which must be drunk, stands for the anger of God which is poured out on people who are godless and disobedient. What we call the wrath of God is this perfect, pure, just, steady, unending hostility towards sin. All who stand in rebellion against God, this holy God, are destined to face this wrath and drink this cup that they do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows For our sakes, he has to drink that cup. Otherwise, we have to drink it ourselves. Jesus knows that for our sakes, he must drink from this cup right down to his last dregs. And in his humanity, he shrank from the wrath of God. If it is possible, let this hour pass from me. All things are possible with you, God. Take this away from me. I... I, I don't want to do this. I don't know if I can cope with this. I don't know if my mind or my body or my soul can take this. Is there any other way? Is what Jesus is saying. Must it be this way? Is there not another way possible? That's what Jesus is asking his Father. My heart breaks when I hear this desperate cry of Jesus because I know he's crying there because of my sins. He's saying, is there another way I can save them? Is there another way we can go through this? There's not. There's no answer. He's got to go through this.
here in the garden, the human nature of Christ battles with his divine nature. Here Jesus faces the temptation to abort his mission. Here the temptation of Satan is to make Christ put away the cup, and that temptation is so intense. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, we read this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It was here that Jesus sweat drops of blood in resisting the temptation to put this cup away from him. Oh, how easy we sin, friend, isn't it? How easy we give in to temptation. But our Lord Jesus agonized and sweat drops of blood over this. Thirdly, I want to speak about the exhortation of Jesus. The exhortation of Jesus. In the midst of this great ordeal, this great suffering, this great agony of soul, what does Jesus do? He breaks from his prayer to see how his disciples are doing. In his anguish and in his pain and his suffering and sorrow, he thinks, how are they? How are they getting on? Amazing. Utterly amazing. And he came to them, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And three times he came to them that night, because he's already told them, you're going to betray me, you're going to deny me, you're going to scatter this night. You need to be ready. You need to pray. It's so humbling and it's so moving to witness this because Jesus at his weakest and most vulnerable is still concerned for his followers. He's still concerned for his followers. And three times he breaks off his prayer to check on them, to exhort them, to watch and to pray. Friends, I tell you that Jesus really cares about your soul more than you know. Not even in his own dark night of the soul did he turn his disciples away or forget about them. And friend, Jesus is never, never, ever, 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 ever too busy for you. And no matter what time of the day or night, Jesus has time for you. He will care for your soul. He's on the lookout for you. He said he would never forsake us or leave us. He would never abandon us. He said, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And your circumstances may be darker than dark. But I tell you, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he's right there with you. Because he promised it. And he doesn't lie. He doesn't break his promises. Not even in his own dark night of the soul does he turn away from his disciples or forget them. Jesus is never too busy for you. You always have the Lord's undivided love and attention. Jesus remained faithful to his disciples even when his own heart was breaking. What a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. What a Savior. Jesus knew what was coming that night. He knew that his disciples were to fare badly. He told them, you're going to scatter. You're going to deny me. You're all going to run. 
when he's arrested. He knew they would fail and desert him. But yet he loves them. And yet he cares for them. In spite of his own concerns, he comes to exhort them, his own disciples, to be ready to pray and keep watch. He knew that they loved him too. He knew that his disciples loved him. But he also knew that no matter how good their intentions were to follow him, no matter what, they were too weak in themselves. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, says Jesus. Therefore, he says to them, you have to pray. You really have to pray. And ask for God's help. Jesus had been battling with hell and his, uh, and his own human frailty. And he knew he had to pray. And he knows that unless they pray, his disciples, for the power and help of God, they will fail. And you know what, friends? Every one of us faces temptation every single day, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. We all face temptation. And if Jesus needed to pray to get through this, how much more do you and I need to pray for his help each day? Do you know, we might be inclined to feel a little bit sorry for the disciples here. They are tired, and they're tired from sorrow, and that's another sermon in itself, isn't it? They're tired with sorrow. What has happened? We're told that Jesus is going to go, he's going to be crucified, someone's going to betray him, and what has happened this night? But remember, Jesus has also told them that they're going to fail. And he's exhorted them to keep praying. He's warned them three times. But but how often are we like the disciples ourselves? Spiritually sleeping when we ought to be praying. And every so often, Jesus gives us a gentle prod. You need to pray. You need to pray. And are we praying or are we returning to our spiritual sleep? And before you know it, temptation has come, we're overcome, we've denied our Lord in some way, we've failed. Jesus says, watch and pray, friend, that you do not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Fourthly and finally, I want to look at the victory of Jesus. I want to close with the victory of Jesus. Jesus is under intense pressure. And he says, if it's possible, God, take this cup away from me. Now we go right back to the beginning of creation. Adam failed in the garden. Perfect in the environment, he failed. He sinned against God. Uh, Noah failed, despite his great achievement in the, the ark and so on. He failed. He got drunk. Abraham, great man, man of faith, yet he failed. He sinned against God. Moses, the lawgiver failed. David, the great king, failed. Solomon failed. Israel failed. Would Jesus now follow that line of failure in the garden? Of all those who failed beforehand, Jesus prays, yet not what I will, but what you will. Facing the unbridled anger of God who hates sin and would pour out his full anger on Jesus and facing the unrestrained sin of men who hate God and would 
would, would batter him and nail him to a cross, Jesus takes the cup of God's wrath and he drinks it in obedience to God the Father. Right down to its last dregs, he takes it all. He says, whatever you want, Father, if that's what you want, that's what I'll do. Your will be done. Your will be done. I will be that sin bearer. I will go to the cross. I will face it. And so he says to his disciples in verse 42, Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer, it is at hand. While others failed, Jesus victoriously says, Okay, let's go. Let's go to it. He heads out to meet the cross in obedience to his Father. He goes down to lay down his own life as a sin bearer. For my sake, for your sake, he drinks the cup of God's wrath right down to its last dregs. Jesus is victorious. Everyone else before has failed. But only Jesus has been victorious in obedience to God, even to death on a cross. The cross awaits him, but the battle has won. It's been won. Satan could not hold Jesus back from the cross. Jesus laid down his beautiful, holy life in the place of sinners. He was victorious. He fulfilled his Father's will to die for our sins. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And my question to you today is, have you embraced that victory? Have you embraced that victory by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of you have. I don't know. Maybe all of you have. I don't know. Have you embraced it? You can embrace it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in him. Believing on his finished work on the cross. Simple. Really is. In one sense. Faith. Have you embraced him? Because only Jesus has emerged victoriously. Only Jesus saves. Salvation is found in no one else, the Bible says. Only Jesus can give us victory over sin, Satan, death, temptation. Amen. Let's just bow our heads in a